0: Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Matthew chapter 16 tonight. Studying things concerning the church, our our response to church. It's an amazing day and an hour in which we live in. I... I never expected uh, this day and hour to be what it was or what it is. Uh, I think it's uh, a testimony to the uh, ability of God to uh, bring new seasons, new times of refreshing, new blessing, uh, to purge out what doesn't work and bring in what does work. Now let's let's read a few scriptures. Uh, Verse 13 Matthew chapter 16 it says when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying whom do men say that I the son of man am and they said some say thou art John the Baptist some uh, Elijah others Jeremiah one of the prophets he said unto them but whom say ye that I am Simon Peter answered and said thou art the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus answered and said unto him blessed art thou Simon bar Jonah for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now notice uh, whose church it is. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. Now if you will, go over to go over to the book of Acts Acts chapter 8 Acts chapter 8 verse 1 this is after the stoning of Stephen they had stoned him and killed him there in Jerusalem verse 60 there chapter 7 says, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice the Lord lay not this sin to their charge and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse 1, chapter 8, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Now, you're there in chapter 8, turn over to chapter 9. It says, And Saul, yet breathing threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, verse 1, chapter 9, went unto the high priest, desired of them him letters, that would be what we would call uh, arrest warrants today, letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if any be found of this way, everybody say of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed and came near to Damascus... uh, came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined right about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, if you notice, in chapter 8, it says he was persecuting what? The church. But in chapter 9, Jesus, when Jesus is speaking, he's saying, why are you persecuting me? Amen. Now, with that in mind, if you will, go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter chapter 3. Apostle Paul, speaking of himself here, he says, Unto me, this is in verse uh, 8, Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now he's actually bringing to a conclusion some things about he's been saying about the anointing that's upon him to take this gospel into the Gentile world and we are the Gentiles isn't that good and he says and to make all men see that word see or understand what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ now notice this to the intent that now everybody say now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now listen to that in the Amplified. I love it in the Amplified. It says, The purpose is that through the church complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all its infinite variety and in, in, in innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere now tonight we're going to talk about the local church and i don't think i've ever seen such a dramatic change in what i call church as i've seen uh, that which has happened in the past 15 or 20 years i thought as i began ministry in 1984 begin to speak in churches, uh, uh, watched phenomenal growth in churches through about 2002. I just thought by now, you know, every church that named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be a megachurch. I couldn't see any other way. I, I, just, I just couldn't, couldn't uh, uh, fathom uh, any, any reprisal, blowback, uh, uh, any type of attack of the adversary, anything that could go on Uh, that could cause the church to be reduced. Now, it's never been reduced in its authority. It's never been reduced in its purpose. It's never been reduced in the intention that God has for it. But much of what has been reduced is in the people realm and the financial realm. Uh, One of the things that I don't think people realize in the kingdom of God today is how necessary and how valuable church is to you. Now, let me just say this. You will be part of the church throughout eternity. Now let me say that again. uh, Being a part of the church is part of your eternal destiny. The problem is church has been reduced to a social aspect almost to the point it would be like a grocery store restaurant or some place you visit uh, something that might appeal to you, something that you might like in, in a typical location, or, uh, a typical uh, personality that you may like. Uh, there, there's all kinds of aspects now uh, that people take into consideration before they go to church or even join a church. We've talked about the statistics around here that have, uh, you know, the, the studies that I've seen, most of them have been from 2005 through 2015, although I've seen some subsequent studies that have talked about the tremendous reduction of participation in the church in America, we see the effects of it today. How many of the many of the uh, denominational churches are just barely hanging on? I have a friend who's a member of a, a very uh, old and established denominational church uh, uh, here in Galveston, and and he is the youngest person in the congregation. He's seventy-two. He's seventy-two. And uh, uh, he said, you know, we have about 10 or 15 people left. Uh, but, you know, the thing was, back in the day, uh, there was a time when that church had two, or 300 people in it. Just a denominational church. Uh, they say that, 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 that people are leaving the ministry. Churches are failing. R- right and left. That there's this great uh, uh, attack against the church. There's a persecution going on in the church right now because the effect of the church... In in the previous, what I like to call season, as the charismatic and and word of faith kind of moves, begin to kind of wane and begin to come to their conclusion, the, the effect of the church is a great, great threat against the kingdom of darkness. So you've got to realize and recognize a couple of things. Number one, you must realize and recognize that it is only the church that God uses to demonstrate the grace, vastness, and unmeasurable authority of his wisdom. And that's not demonstrated toward governments on the earth, it's demonstrated toward the principalities and powers and the ruler uh, and the wicked rulers in high places. Listen, if nobody does anything about what goes on in the heavenlies, Satan goes nuts. He he'll destroy everything. And if you look back just take the last hundred years. We're fixing to go into, into 2020. So we'll go from 2020 to 1920. There's been more war than there's been revival. There's been more d- destruction. There's been more uh, hate. There's been more... Uh, pra- I'm telling you, it's like the adversary has just unleashed everything that he can unleash. Before Dr. Oral Roberts uh, went, to, went, went to heaven... Uh, he was visited by the Lord and the Lord showed him demonic forces that, that, that for some reason the dispensation of time had come to the point in which these demonic forces were released and he saw that in the spirit realm and he said this, he said they're released against the church. Now when you get over into the book of Thessalonians you will find out there's only one thing on the earth that withholds wickedness. And that's the church. And when it's gone... This thing is going to tumble very quickly. Actually, it's only going to last seven years. For seven years, this earth is going to just, it's going to, I'm glad we won't be here. I said, you, you believe we're going to go before? We have to. We cannot see the, the, the development of the Antichrist system until the church is gone. Until it's gone. So you've got to understand that every believer, has a responsibility to know what a church is, to understand what a church is. Now in traveling for years, the Lord spoke some things to me about the local church, and I still believe to this day it's true. Not only did He speak it to me, but many other people uh, said the same thing about how in the last days God would use the church to reap a great harvest of souls in the kingdom and in the church you would see a great manifestation of the Spirit of God because the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ is what has within it that which is necessary to hold that move to keep that move. You say what do you mean by that? Well basically the charismatic move, the the, uh, 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 the healing move that took place back in 1948 through the, into the early 60's, those were pretty much rejected by the church charismatic move took place in a lot of hotel ballrooms a full gospel businessmen cafeterias different places like that it was powerful what god was doing but for the most part the church rejected it and so it had a shelf life it had a shelf life that means it lasted so long and then it stopped but what i see i don't see anything negative i see something positive every move that has taken place god has brought that move and deposited it into the church where we used to have a great healing revival that was going on with all these evangelists going around and putting up tents. Now you got a lot of churches that believe in divine healing. Amen? So we've got to understand and realize that the church is where God does business in the earth. And the church is God's family. And when, when, when Jesus made the statement to Saul of Tarsus, why do you persecute me? Where in Acts chapter 8, He was persecuting the church Jesus sees no difference in Himself and the church. And when you begin to realize that, you begin to realize how you respond to the church is how you respond to Jesus. Now, people don't like to hear that because there's all kinds of variables to churches. Now, in traveling over the years, I've been in some churches. I've been in some churches that were just glorious. You know, uh, uh, churches with structure that were... I just thought to myself, how in the world would that? We were in a, uh, we did uh, uh, some meetings in a church, uh, quite large, about 6,000 members. But in this church, if you got a mortgage, you got it in the church. The church lent you the money for your house. If you bought a car, you borrowed the money from the church. Amen? Well, that's very easy and very uh, simple because if you get behind on your payments, all you got to do is leave the church. Amen I mean you know there's there's there, there's there's churches all kinds of flavors all kinds of uh that do all types of things I just some of them I don't understand some of them I do but we must realize what is a church and we have to understand, okay, if we want to know what is a church, how do we define it? Are we going to go to the major denominations and have them send us a readout send us an email what do you say a church is. Because you're going to get as many explanations of a church as you're going to get as explanations of grocery stores. Amen? So, we must understand that the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ can only really be described by what we see in the book of Acts. Number one, a church must be a place where the gospel is taught and preached. Taught for information, preached for inspiration. Everybody say, taught Taught and and preached. Number two, a church has to be a place where the believer can be planted and mature into their ministry. Now that doesn't mean you're going to mature into a, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor or teacher, but every one of us have a ministry. <coughs> excuse me. Every one of us have a ministry within the church and every one of us have a ministry outside the church. Your ministry inside the church is to find what place God has for you. Your ministry outside the church is to be a soul winner, a minister of reconciliation. Amen. And the church also should be, now this is according to the book of Acts, should be a place in which people are raised up to go to the world to preach the gospel. Amen. The church should be a house of prayer. Jesus actually called His house a house of prayer. Amen. Churches should also be places of healing. Not just physical healing, but where people's lives can be healed and made whole. Amen. I've always had a very deep respect for the church. Always had a very deep respect for what churches do, who they are. Whether they're very small or whether they're very large. But the problem we have today is that many churches are built on a social foundation. There are some churches that are built on what I would call a racial foundation. There are churches that are built on geographical locations. And there are churches that are built on the foundation of personality. Now, you've got to understand, the variable of that church growing or that church prospering or that being blessed, uh, being blessed is really not in the hands of God. It's in the hands of man. Success in church. There are things you can do. There's marketing. There's people that you can have come do studies. There's uh, firms you can hire that will come. There's actually firms you can hire that will come and begin to communicate with your people to help uh, kind of inspire your people to give more money. There are are all kinds of things in building programs. I know of of, of certain churches that'll go out and they'll sell bonds to build a church. They'll go, and and, and that means you'll you'll get a note every month in the mail to pay a part of your mortgage on the church. I've seen that fail over and over and over and over. Churches are called to function and live by faith. Let me say that again. Churches are called to function and live by faith, trusting the one who said he would build the church, that he would do exactly that, that he would build the church, that he would do it in his own time, that he would do it in his own will, and at the end of the day when the church is built, people will know who built it. Amen? Many churches that I, 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 that I go to, that I went to for many years, I knew who built that church. Many of them don't even exist today. Sad thing to say. I. it's been a while. It's maybe five years ago. She and I sat down one afternoon and we're just talking about things. And we started talking about people that we knew, pastors that we ministered for, and people that were very dear to our heart. And of that conversation, we counted 35 pastors, churches, people that you would have looked at and thought, my goodness, in 10 years this church is going to be off the charts. And either they're not even in the ministry anymore, or they're dead, several of them are dead, or they have such an ineffective ministry that it really doesn't mount to a hill of beans. Pastors get comfortable sometimes just maintaining enough people to pay a salary, keep their bills paid, keep their doors open. Well, you can't do that and be a church. Churches have to expand. Churches have to grow. Churches have to increase. And really no amount of church growth mentality can take the place of being led by that which God desires to do. You know, there was a church up in Houston that was was built by a very well-known man of God, Uh, 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 had a tremendous revival, and out of the revival, the, the actual physical church got built out of the revival, and just had... Uh, this great outpouring of the Spirit, even before the, even before the healing revival, they had a healing revival in Houston. This is in the 1930s. Power of God in manifestation. Had a celebration, a, a healing celebration uh, in which they had a parade uh, down in downtown Houston. And it was trucks carrying uh, sick beds and old iron lungs and crutches and wheelchairs. And there were 30 blocks, it was 30 blocks long of the, tr- of the trucks of people that had been healed and blessed uh, by this church's ministry well uh, those the actually it was a father and a son both of them had passed away the church had passed into denominational hands and really gone into stagnation and god began to move there was a pastor that was there and god began to move a revival started amongst the hippies so back in the late 60s and early 70s and god began to move and a powerful move of God took place. But the problem was, a lot of people didn't recognize it. I've heard the testimony of the pastor. He said he came down here to Galveston. And as he walked between two uh, rock jetties, uh, he prayed and said, Lord, what do I do? I've got all these people coming to my church. They have long hair. You know, they, they bring their Coca-Colas into the church. They, they smoke cigarettes out in the foyer. But they're coming by the hundreds and even by the thousands. What do I do? And the Lord said, well, you can either have revival or you can have stagnation. So he went back and said, we're going to have revival. Well, most of the church left. But they were packed every night. Night after night after night after night after night. And God literally rebuilt that church with a brand new congregation of people who had a heart for God. Now that's something we must realize as a church. That as we get used to the routine of coming to service. The routine of reading a scripture, a chapter out of the Bible a day even the routine of maybe coming to prayer every once in a while or or, or taking in an extra meeting once. You've got to make a decision that you're going to develop a heart for God within the church. And if you will do that, one of the things it's going to do, it's not going to give you insurance, it's going to give you assurance. You say, why? Because you're part of a divine institution in which God looks very, very, uh, how can I say this, Um, uh, very, very caringly at. He wanted a family. That's why creation took place. Satan spoiled the plan of God through sin that man cooperated with. Then God got his family back when Jesus rose from the dead. That's why he's the head of the church. So we must understand that there is a pressure unlike any other pressure upon any individual that is willing to consecrate themselves to a church and be, what, be a part of what a church is doing in this day and hour. Now, let me, let me kind of paint this picture for you a little bit. Number one, that pressure begins with you because you're just a human being. But the problem with you being a human being is you're living in a body in which that body, down through the years and the ages and the centuries and the millenniums, the body and the soul of man has been the inhabitant of a force called iniquity. In the spirit of man, that which separates God from man is iniquity, which is the desire or the motivation to sin. Now, anything that's left in any type of environment... That is, conducive, that is conducive for its development will develop. Now let me say that, th- that again. Anything that is left in an environment that is conducive for its development, it will develop. Do you understand that? I read an article. It's been several years ago. I was flying, flying somewhere to go preach. In a, 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 it was in a Newsweek magazine. And it was talking about... Uh, the, the title of the article was Super Tuberculosis. Now there was a a prison up in the northeast, I believe it was in New Jersey, and there were 17 men in there that were dying of of AIDS. And one of them had tuberculosis. And that tuberculosis got into those 17 bodies in which there was no resistance. You know, that's that's what AIDS is. It's the breaking down of your immune system. So, So there's no resistance in your body. It can't resist any disease, so any disease that gets in your body just mastates. Well, that thing mastated in those men, got into a couple of the of, of the care workers, and those care workers, they did everything they tried, could possibly do. Uh, they 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 tried to they tried with the antibiotics, all the all the wonder drugs we have, everything, and they could not stop that stuff. ran its, ran its course and killed killed those two workers. Uh, doc, you've heard of that? Raise your hand. Give us a witness right there. Now listen, they the phenomenon of that blew them away. They're like, oh my God. Man, a a disease can get into a body in which there's no resistance. And what does it do? Strengthens the disease. Now now, now they're very worried. The the medical society is very worried about super diseases that can get turned loose on the earth. And the origin of the super diseases is coming from the inside of us because of 6,000 years of sin. Now you flip that over to the soulish realm. And you have to come to the conclusion in your own life and in your own mindset that everything in you that fights against that which God wants to do in you and with you has had 6,000 years to develop itself in order to bring opposition against you. Now you think about that. But then you think about how powerful salvation is. I said think about how powerful salvation is. And you get born again. And you begin to develop this hunger for God. Just like anything else, there has to be a development. You have to develop a hunger for God beyond your need. Now, just as an observer and participant, if I could say what was the number one thing in the great move of God that culminated in that that word of faith, independent church, charismatic move, what was the number one thing that has caused the church to be what it is today? Why has there been a reduction? Why don't as many people come? Why aren't as many people on fire for God? Because much of our teaching and preaching, and I did as much of it as anybody, was need-based. You need a healing? We'll teach you on healing. You need prosperity? We'll teach you on prosperity. You need to get your mind right. We teach you on mind renewal. Everything was need based. Nothing was God based. God, listen to me. God needs you, and God needs us. Now let me say that again. God needs you, and God needs us. But if we don't understand that, then our responsibility level goes way down. Now, also with that in mind demands were put on people. Many of them were of God. Much of it was of God. But that which is not of God, that ends up in the church many times ends up being used by the devil to bring great discouragement, great offense, great harm, and great hurt. And that was the demand that's put on people. The only three things you have in life to give is your time, your effort, and your money. Amen. Now I I watched teaching on prosperity go right into the ditch. I mean some of the goofiest stuff I ever saw in my life. Not only that, I saw it produce millions and probably even billions of dollars that people didn't go to the world with. People didn't didn't, uh, use it for missions work. People didn't use it to build orphanages. People used it to look like the world with. Now that God doesn't bless that. And that's pretty much come to an end. And there's a lot of ministries today trying to continue to rehearse that message to try to keep it going. And as they downsized over the years, if you really didn't know anything behind the scenes, you couldn't tell it. But I could tell you several ministries, large ministries that I have connections to that have said things like this. If we don't change what we're doing in two years, we'll be bankrupt. Because we built a ministry over here uh, back in 1995, 96, and 97 when we had 12 to $15 million a, 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 a year coming in and now we have built it on that in which we need 12 to $15 million coming in and we're only getting about 4 or $5 now. Well, what are you going to do? You see what I'm saying? Anytime you're on enemy soil, let me say that again, anytime you're on enemy soil, you're going to be subject to the culture of that enemy. Now let me say that again. Anytime you're on enemy soil, you're going to be subject to the culture of that enemy. So you have to understand, there is resistance against you and resistance against me. They didn't experience it in 1930. They didn't experience that in 1940. They didn't experience that in 1950. They didn't experience that in 60 or 70 or 80 or even 90. You say, why? Because it was not there. But now it's there. There is a persecution. Now, let me say this. This may help you. Persecution has a unique element to it. If you study persecution in the church, and if you study it in the history of the church since the writing of the Bible, you will see that physical persecution is one of the most powerful conductive things that can cause revival to manifest. Now let me say that again. Physical persecution is like gasoline on a fire when it comes to revival. So they came in uh, tonight, uh, whoever the law enforcement would be, arrested me, arrested the board of the church, arrested Dustin, arrested Alan, Anybody in ministry with a 501c3, for no other reason, no other reason, the headline, gospel ministers arrested Wednesday night for preaching the gospel. How many people would be in this church on Sunday morning? You couldn't hold them. I said you couldn't hold them. It'd be like like gasoline on a fire. Satan knows that. In a free society, where there is no governmental persecution against churches, he knows how to take that persecution from the outside and put it on the inside. That's been one of his strategies ever since the church began to prosper. Listen, the church has never prospered like it has in the past 30 years. There was no... Listen, these guys, Rex Humbard and, and, and Oral Roberts and these guys that pioneered television ministry. Did they Listen, I, I've, sat, I've sat in the car and talked to Dr. Roberts about these things. I've sat at dinner tables and talked. To, he, said, it, 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 he said, you don't understand, it was just an absolute miracle. A miracle that we ever had a television broadcast. A miracle that Billy Graham was able to do what he did when he started being on national television. Did you know that... They didn't give them that time. Did you know that? They didn't give that to them saying, say, oh, we just love, this is America, land of the free, home of the brave, you know, in God we trust, so you can, just, you can, have, a, you can have two hours on Saturday night to preach the gospel. No, they don't do that. That time was bought at a very high expense because during that time, people buy 30-second and one-minute and two-minute slots and advertise, and you've got to pay for all of that plus what they want for you to preach the gospel. And then we had Paul and Jan Crouch that came up and began to believe God for an entire satellite system that would beam the gospel onto the planet Earth all at one time. Can you imagine that? See, sometimes we forget our own history. You know, the Bible says over in Exodus 17... He told Moses he they had had a great uh, victory uh, at Rephidim, and there was a great victory. And God said, told Moses, he said, rehearse in the ears of Joshua this victory. What was he doing? He was preparing him to go possess the land. Amen. And so uh, uh, all of this, the, the, the 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 TBN and all the Christian, it was nothing. When I first came back to the Lord in 1984, there was two stations in Texas, one down in Harlingen and one up in, uh, uh, one here in Houston. Now they're all over the world, television networks and stations and, and all beaming the gospel all over the Earth, all over the Earth, churches with, 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 with uh, television programs that go all around the world. You say, well, what point are you trying to make? All of that has an effect on the kingdom of darkness and there is a pushback. The enemy knows that. He knows the source of all of the revenue and all of the activity that is necessary to bring that stuff online literally comes from America right here in the United States. So what's he going to go after? He's going to go after the individual. Listen. Revival can begin with one person, two people, three people. The enemy can come to one or two or three or five. And on the inside, when persecution moves from the outside to the inside, what does it? where does it go? It goes to your soul. You're not beat with a rod on your back. You're not stoned with stones. But your mind, your emotions, the way you feel, the the, the thoughts that you think, the way you reason, and the choices you make begin to get suppressed. Amen? And when you begin to realize that, you begin to realize that the suppression of your spirituality is an act of your adversary to try to keep you out of the blessings of God. Now let me just say this. For you that might think otherwise, you're wrong. You're more blessed connected to the church than you are disconnected. Now let me say that again. You're more blessed connected to the church than you are disconnected. We are more blessed together than we are separate. We are more effective together than we are separate. We are more prosperous together than we are separate. Don't you think your adversary, our adversary, knows that? So he tries to do everything that he can to suppress the way you think, how you feel, and the choices you make. Listen, all the people that used to go to church back in the 90s, you know why they don't go to church tonight? They don't want to. They don't want to. Amen? They just don't want to. What has changed the want to? Now for myself, I have guarded my heart. I have guarded my mind. I pray this prayer all the time. Lord, whatever you're doing, I want to be right in the middle of it. If you can't do it in Galveston, send me where you can. If you can't do it in America, send me to the nation you can do it. I do not want to miss anything you're doing in this day, in this hour. I will not suppress my personal witness. I witness to people all over the town, all over the town. Talk to people about the Lord. Witness to people all over the place. I got, I got, I've always had a group of friends that were not saved, that I'm working on them to get saved. As much ministry outside the pulpit as there is in the pulpit. I've always had a heart for local church. As we helped churches for over 18 years. I begin to see how the enemy comes in and begins to do things to suppress the people, to suppress their hearts in order to keep them from being effective in the kingdom and causing that corporate blessing not to happen or taking place. Amen? That's why you've got to be so careful. Number one, everybody say, number one, you've got to value the church. And the church isn't some building. And the church isn't some, you know, some idealist. The church is us. It's the people. Jesus described corporate as this. Where the two or three gather in my name. I'm right in the middle of it. That was a corporate statement he was making. Jesus also said this. He said, upon the revelation of who I am, I'm going to build the church. And actually, if you study out the scripture, he said, I'm going to build the church on the revelation of who I am in you. Because Peter, you're a small piece of the rock, but upon this Gibraltar-sized revelation, I'm going to build my church and what? Now here's here's our shouting area. The gates of hell shall not prevail. That means the counsels, the strategies, and the so-called apparent power. Amen? Listen, I love to go through things and come out on the winning side. Now, when I say go through things that are tough, things that are hard, things that make you want to quit and give up, but you just make a decision, oh, you know, I just ain't going to do it. I'm going to see, I'm going to see God move. I'm going, to see, I'm going to see blessings. I'm going to see souls saved. I'm going to see people healed. I'm going to, I'm going to see it in Jesus' name. I just, we just got the, uh, uh, my first book that I'm writing, and I, and I rehearsed a story. And I've told it here several times. But I, it's, it's, it's one of the things, I, and I, the way I use the story in the book is for this point. How you go through things in life and God sets a standard on the inside of you that just makes you who you are. and just makes you, you're, not, you're just not going to quit. You're just not going to give up until you, you get what you want. When I was a, 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 a sophomore, actually after my freshman year into the summer, between my freshman and sophomore year, I got interested in rodeoing. I got tired of getting beat up on the football field. Everybody grew but me. I weighed 130 pounds, soaking wet. And, you know, I was fast, so they always wanted me to, you know, you go catch the ball. And, you know, I just had the tar beat out of me too many times. And I was in FFA, Future Farmers of America. And I had a friend, and his, his family owned a ranch outside of, outside of Houston. And I started going to rodeos with him. And next thing you know, I ended up interested in it. And I ended up actually being a bull rider, riding bulls. Did it for three years. Got on all kinds of bulls. And, you know, it's, that's not anything that you begin doing with any amount of success. <laughs> I mean, you don't start out, you know. I remember the first bull I got on, it was in Highlands, Texas, and this was an old bull. And a tired boy, you could ride him for two dollars. <laughs> two bucks. He kind of, they'd open the gate, and he'd look out the gate, and it would hop like twice. Well, that's all it took to throw me on the ground. So getting up off the ground after that first attempt, I'm thinking, how valuable is my two dollars? I done lost two, am I going to spend two more? Well, I spent two more and two more after that, and two more after that, and went back the next week and two more after that, until I got some instruction. And finally, I started getting into rodeos. I started in the Texas Youth Rodeo Association, the Youth Rodeo Association, Southwestern Rodeo Association, and Open Rodeos. And got to where, you know, I was actually winning a few things, uh, got invited to the finals in 1972. That, but that particular year, I was full on in youth rodeo mode going to uh, all over the state of texas and that's the thing about living in the you know you can be the best bull rider in rhode island and you know it may not amount to much that's probably better for ballerinas or something but in texas you know there there were 700 bull riders in the texas youth rodeo association i was number seven so they had the, you know, every rodeo, I don't know if you know about them, they, uh, the calves, the bareback horses, the bulls, all of that. That's, that there's actually people that, that raise those animals. They're called stock contractors. It's a very actually a very lucrative business. I should have got into the bull business about 20 years ago. Because them old rodeo bulls back then sold for $500, sell for $500,000 now. They have their own fraturity, is what they call it. So we had a uh, over in uh, the Pasadena area we had a, a, a rodeo Company called the Chapman Rodeo Company. And they had a big, you know, 18 uh, uh, wheeler, and they'd bring their bulls. Actually, they'd bring them to all kinds of rodeos, uh, whether they're professional or youth. They'd bring the same bulls. This is Texas. They'd bring the same bulls to a youth rodeo as they would to a professional rodeo. The, and their biggest, baddest, meanest bull was Black Five. And I'll never forget him. He was a a muley. That means he didn't have any horns. But he he was a Brahma Angus cross, and he was big. I mean, his back stood up that high, higher than the other bulls in the pen. And you could always tell when he was there when they had brought him because he was the biggest bull in the pen. And I never wanted to draw him. And he wasn't one of these real fast-spinning bulls. He would jump down the arena and jump up in the air with all four legs at one time. Real showy bull. And there was was a, a, a cowboy who won the International Rodeo Association Championship in Deer Park, Texas, on Black Five, named Jack Wiseman. Anybody know Jack Wiseman? Dad knows him. He bought him some teeth. (laughs) Amen. But to my horror, in 1972, at the Pasadena Youth Rodeo Association Rodeo, I drew it. And immediately upon drawing that bull, I was just... Terrified. Wherever other bull I was drawn, I was thinking about points. I was thinking about the finals. I was thinking about winning the buckle. I was thinking about it. All of a sudden, I went into total survival mode. How can I survive this without dying? <laughs> Amen? Now, I literally, there's no way to describe how afraid, how scared, how fearful I was. I could not gather enough spit in my mouth to spit. I was totally dry mouth. You know, when you get that white ring around your mouth like that. <laughs> Listen, this is before vest and helmets and, you know, it was, it was... Anyway, I remember getting down on him, pulling up to the rope, calling, instead of thinking all the things I should have been thinking, you know, stay up on your rope, stay focused, move your hips, move your free arm. Don't let it get... I wasn't thinking none of that. He bailed out. Up he went. That's like being an elephant. Up he went, and I'll never forget, I've never seen the lights at this angle before. (laughs) He came down, and when he hit, you could tell there's there's some strength there. Up again he went. About the third time, off I went. And he was the kind of bull that when he threw you, he was right on top of you. And he was right on top of me, and he made me into a mess. I literally remember going home and pulling my pockets out. I had dirt in the bottoms of my pockets. Now, that's, 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 that's getting it good. As we used to say, I took a hook in Salinas, So I figured, you know, well, you ever had a failure and thought, well, you know, I'm through that. I'm still walking. That's cool. Now, the next week, that circuit moved to Alvin, Texas. Walking into the arena, what they do is they've got two buckets, big coffee can buckets, your names in one, a bull number in the other before I get into the, into the door, two other cowboys walk out and say, guess who drew black five tonight? I didn't have to guess. It was me. <laughs> so two weeks in a row, I'd drawn. The, and I was hoping maybe this is some other bull. And I walk out and you can see that. He's, he's sitting up there that high. And I'm like, oh my God. Now my buddy, Billy Walker, he saw the absolute terror in my face. And he took me out to his car and I'll never forget what he told me to this day. He said, last week you had that bull rode but you gave up. And then he named another, another bull that had rode at Deer Park in Deer Park, Texas which was a, a much stronger bull than that. He said, you rode 77 and that, that bull wasn't bucking that hard. He said, "You did, you just gave up. And I'm like, I started thinking about it and I began to think to myself, my fear, what I'm so afraid of, inhibited me from being able to perform at my peak ability. And we stayed out in that parking lot and stayed out in that parking lot and stayed out in that parking lot, didn't go shucking and jiving, doing nothing like And when they begin to call for the barrel, see when they call for the barrel racers, that's when they load the bulls in the chute, So you know it's time to go. He stayed with me. He talked to me. He put me down. He pulled my rope. And listen, that night, what was a defeat from the the week before was a success that night. Now, what prepared me for the success of the Alvin Youth Rodeo Association Rodeo? It was the failure of the Pasadena. And somebody with good enough words to convince me that I wasn't doing my best. No wonder I was failing. You say what point are you trying to make? Faith works. Healing works. Prosperity works. Righteousness works. Joy works. All these doctrines we preach. They work. You can also have some failures in them. But what are you going to allow your failure? Listen. Here's where we're at. In church the church world today. Church works. But the problem that we have with church today is there's been so many toxic things that have happened. Everybody knows the stories of the preachers that run off with their personal trainers. Everybody knows the preachers that, you know, that steal the money and run off. That, 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 that run off with a piano. That do this and do that. And the, and the churches that end up you know down in Guyana drinking Kool-Aid. That's, that, that's a catchphrase among people today. Oh, you finally left the church, you quit drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, we don't serve Kool-Aid around here. Amen. We preach the gospel and teach the gospel. But I, how many have heard that, that, that saying before? Oh, you finally quit drinking the Kool-Aid. No, we're not drinking Kool-Aid around here. Amen? Amen. And in the midst of that which look like what, what looks like cannot happen, watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. Because God has a way of doing things that raises up His activity in the earth to when people look at it, they know that's, that can't be those people. That can't be, that's got to be God that's doing that. And we're literally living in the day and the hour in which God is not going to do that. That's what God is doing. He is showcasing those who've not quit, who've not given up, who've not allowed the toxicity of the day and the hour in the church to affect their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or their relationship with the church that God has called them to. Amen? Now, if you realize those things, and I know I said a lot tonight, you might need to go back and listen to this a couple of times. If if you realize this, you can guard your heart. Amen? And not let the offense... Of just the world. This is the most offended mess I've ever seen in my life. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about walk outside the doors, turn on the radio, turn on the television, listen for 30 minutes, and you're going to hear a bunch of offense. (laughs) So, my last thought. Are you going to let it affect you? Go let it get into your spiritual walk. Go let it mess with your mind. Or are you going to rise above it and make the decision? You know, God hadn't left me alive in the 2019, 2020 to let me just exist till death runs its course. God has me here for a reason. God has us here for a reason God has us here for a purpose we're not going to miss that reason we're not going to miss that purpose we're going to be the ones that's going to be on the tip of the spear and the cutting edge of what God is doing in this day and in this hour amen Amen. you love the Lord give the Lord a shout oh give Him a mighty shout stand on your feet this evening thank you Lord God say this out loud Heavenly Father I thank you that I'm alive in this day and in this hour. And no matter how strong iniquity has mastated in humanity, I'm born again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the earth. I will overcome the inward persecution of the soul. And I will walk in my family, in my church family, in the blessings, in the promotion, in the deliverances of God Almighty. And we shall see His blessing overcome us in such a way that many people will come just to see what the Lord has done. Thank You for it, Lord. Thank You for it, Jesus. Thank You for it, Heavenly Father. We receive it in Jesus' name. Father, now we thank You as we leave tonight, we are the protected of God. We are the kept of God. Thank You no evil befalls us, no plague comes now our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us as we travel on the highways, the airways, the railways, or the seaways. Lord, as we handle the resource that You've given us. Thank You that we're not subject to accident, trauma, evil plans of wicked men or Satan himself. Thank You that we abide under the shadow of the Most High. And thank You for an effective working of the angelic realm and Your Holy Spirit to guard, protect, and keep us in this dangerous hour. Thank You, Father. As we leave tonight, we do recognize and realize each and every one of us have open doors of utterance in which we may boldly speak your word. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Let signs and wonders be done in the name of your holy child, Jesus. Lord, as we leave tonight, we walk in faith and love towards you. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be, thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Spirit.